0: so we we were farrowing the american guinea hogs uh you know so basically um we had a boar we had a couple of sows and we had piglets uh one of the things that i did learn there was um you know i lost a lot of baby piglets trying to control the environment of during birth right bring them Mm -hmm. into a barn etc i found that just them birthing out on uh, on pasture they did much better than whenever i tried brought them into the barn and tried to confine them i had a lot fewer uh instances where the mother ended up laying on the piglets right because What's you hard? have like you have you have a several hundred pound hog and you have this you know couple ounce piglet um and there's a lot of them right there's you know eight nine ten uh and that that sow gets up and gets you know lays down etc it, it, it happens right she she lays on some of her own piglets it's that, just mm-hmm. something that happens and some hogs are better than others some sows are better than others about that um but i had Th- that problem less frequently whenever i just let them farrow out on pasture um and so yeah and so for us you know in texas that's something you can do um you know in other environments it may not be uh it may not make sense you know especially in the winter
1: this is the farm hop life podcast a traveling homestead family i'm matt derosier on the farm hop life podcast we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people could be a college student Grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio a former vp of marketing for del taco now raising cattle in montana or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years this show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you that we all make mistakes we all have bad days but we can reach out and help one another thrive and giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself
0: Uh, you know i don't think beef is the only protein obviously we raise uh, uh, beef pork chicken uh, lamb and seasonally turkeys uh, and of course laying hens as well and so you know i want to bring more to the market space than just beef actually i'm i'm rather limited in the amount of beef that i can produce um and, and whereas uh, pork and chicken are are much more uh, easy to scale uh, shorter cycle um takes less real estate and so hoping to bring those aspects to the beef initiative. You know, if customers are out there looking for beef, I'm hoping that they're also looking for pork and chicken.
1: Sure. Yeah, because you're in cattle country, I'm, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of beef around here. There's a lot of folks um, uh, with much bigger operations than I am. Um,
1: mm.
0: You know, and, and I am, um, I, I'm selling my product at the local farmer's market. And I pretty much, um, I, that's pretty much all I can produce uh so i don't do any shipping or anything like that it's all direct to consumer sales at the local farmers market so what slim is doing um you know he's trying to connect you know the farmer uh with the consumer and and i'm all for that um he's got you know he's got a global reach and obviously i can't support anything outside of my local geography so
1: yeah yeah and that's just fine to scale
0: up but i i don't think that uh, i mean shipping is an entirely additional enterprise And it's just me and my wife. That's uh, we we manage everything. Plus, I have an off uh, off farm job, and so yeah, trying to take on something like that is is probably not something that I'm wanting to do
1: right now. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I I took a quick look at your website, and I actually don't like to do too much research because then I don't get to yeah yeah. I I I I, it kind of ruins my questions actually, at least for me, anyways. But. stepping stepping back uh maybe maybe quite a few years how did you get started in in ranching i'm gonna call you rancher because it looks like uh, you got some sizable property
0: um i uh, yeah so so am i am i so i i call it farmsteading okay um which i don't know if there's really a definition for that but really it's homesteading where you're trying to make some money off of your your um hobby, let's call it that. Right. And so I, I did start, uh, homesteading, um, in 2006. Uh, and we really did nothing but homesteading for, um, 10 years. Uh, and so I had young kids then, uh, etc. you know, and, and we were, we were bartering a little bit and we were sharing, uh, with our local community. Um, but really I did it out of a desire to feed my family. Uh, I like, I like projects. I'm, I'm a, I call myself a serial hobbyist, right? And so uh, I like solving problems. And really, like, homesteading is the ultimate of that, right? You're, you are always are trying to optimize things, make things more efficient. Um, I'm an engineer by training. And so this really kind of scratched a lot of those itches. And then when, I, uh, when we moved, when the kids graduated high school and we moved uh, back to Central Texas just because we didn't like living. We were living about 20 miles from the Gulf Coast. Uh, just south of Houston. <clears throat> and so, when we moved back to Central Texas, um, you know, it was just me and my wife, we wanted to get a little bit more land, and uh, we ended up getting a lot more land. And, it, you know, at that point, it was like, okay, let's just go all in. Uh, I'm a firm believer in having, um, uh, you know, a second, second uh, revenue stream, if you will. Um, and so, uh, you know, just kind of getting, taking the homes, what we learned homesteading, what we learned with uh you know raising a, a whole plethora of different animals we figured look let's uh let's turn this into a real operation and, and try to get our foot in the door at the local markets in and around austin and try to make some money out of this gig so uh, i don't know if i answered what got me into it what really got me into it was um we were living in a suburb outside of dallas and it was uh, very upscale you know we lived on a golf course uh, community all that type of stuff and uh, I had three young kids at the time, uh, all in like middle school, um, elementary school. And I just didn't like what I saw as far as how they were being raised. Right? They were yeah. uh, or I guess the the environment in which they were being raised, the um, keeping up with the Joneses, right, uh, ballet and karate and, and all of these things. Every moment of their day was kind of orchestrated and they didn't really. They didn't have an opportunity to just go out and and be kids and run around the block, right? It's just none of their peers were doing that. Um, And so uh, I guess the straw that broke the camel's back is, uh, you know, we lived on a golf course community. So there was, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's like a little creek and ponds and stuff and people would go feed the ducks there. And so the fish were always huge. Right. And they would pretty much gobble up anything. Right. So it's a kid's dream as far as going fishing. So, so we would take them fishing. I would take them fishing. They would have a, a blast, et cetera. Um, and then, um, you know, if they wanted to go fishing, and I was busy with whatever. And I said, you know, just go take your fishing poles and walk down there and go fishing. Well, about three weeks later, they had a big wrought iron fence up that said no fishing, right? And it's right. like, okay, so, so what are the kids supposed to do, right? And, and uh, none of their friends were fishing like that. Uh, maybe one or two others joined once they saw them. Uh, but again, it was like, OK, what are kids supposed to do? How, you know, do you want them to go sit on the corner and smoke cigarettes? You're not giving them any options. <laughs> right. So so uh, Molly's dad and mom were living um, in Alvin, Texas, which is where we end up moving to. And they had three acres and and um, and, the, and, and the environment was just different. Right. There was uh, it rains a lot there. And, and I guess the thing my my great awakening was uh, we went to visit one time. And there was about six or seven kids riding four wheelers and they had taken the hood of a car and they'd flipped it upside down and tied a rope to it. And they were basically surfing or or skiing uh, on mud uh, with four wheelers. It's like, yeah, that's what kids should be doing. Uh, So it's at that point it was like, yeah, this is, this is really how I want to live. This is, uh, um, you know, these are the kind of people that, that uh, I want to be around. And so we moved there and we started homesteading.
1: That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's. It, it, the, the, like people's progression is always interesting, right? Like you kind of like, there's something that kind of like starts to like, get you like on, on that path. Right. Then all of a sudden just like every little thing's like, man, I'm not too comfortable with that. And just like, man, I'm just get, you just get more and more uncomfortable where you are knowing it's not the right fit anymore. Right.
0: And so you're just waiting for the next thing. There there was a couple of things that were just happening globally, kind of like, now there's a lot of interest in, uh, in homesteading because of the, the pandemic and, and uh, the financial issues, et cetera. Uh, at the time, um, we were living, uh, well, just before we moved to uh, the suburb of Dallas, we were a couple uh, hours outside of New York City when 9-11 happened. Uh, and then when we moved to um, uh, the Houston area, the uh, Hurricane Katrina had just happened Um, And so all of that was kind of fresh in people's memories. I don't don't know if people even remember that now, right? This is ancient history, really. Um, But the reality is, is that there was a whole bunch of people who who were totally unprepared to uh, exist without the government's help. Let's just put it that way. Right. And they had no means of uh, an escape escape strategy um, of any kind of uh, redundancy, self-reliance. It was all just, you know, the government's going to take care of me. Uh, and so a lot of those people ended up in Houston. Um, so really, and then before that, even, uh, I was in Bosnia, um, in, in 96, uh, yeah, 96, 97, 98, that, that, that time frame, And, um, you know, I saw what, what, how quickly society can, can fall apart. Um, mm. and so all of those things kind of impacted me and and you know having young kids just the realization that look these things aren't always going to be there you shouldn't depend upon them you should always have uh, you know a, a backup plan uh living on the gulf coast you know hurricanes are a reality it's just something you should be prepared for the the fact that the people in and around new orleans weren't prepared for that is is dumbfounding right um and so You know, that was my excuse, if you will, to uh, to to build a lot of these systems and and uh, build some redundancy and and self-reliance. And really, that's what homesteading is all about. Right.
1: I mean, really, yeah, that you kind of have to you have to be handy. You have to be prepared. You have to kind of figure out how to fix things on the fly. So you're kind of, you know, exercising that part of your brain what would I do if like, Oh crap, I wasn't expecting that thing to break. How am I going to fix that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: And, and, and so even now, um, <clears throat> you know, I wouldn't call myself a homesteader now, but, uh, I have, I have to put systems in place that are redundant. Uh, so I travel some for work. Uh, my wife is here, you know, she's got to be able to take care of these things when I'm gone. So uh, that, and I'm not getting any younger. Right. And so building systems that, that help make, make the job easier and manageable, uh, and And less prone to falling apart when i'm gone um you know it, 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 those are all part of the same skill sets that I use now
1: let's talk about some of your systems so your let us talk about a little bit about your property, so you said you have cows, pigs uh sheep, and chickens right. and sometimes turkeys, like seasonally right. you said yeah so. Do though on your property i think you i think I saw quickly you got like seventy acres outside of Austin somewhere,
0: yeah, yeah, we have seventy acres we lease um uh about it's about eighteen acres uh adjacent to me where I run the pigs uh and sheep half of the time, uh, and then I just closed on a sixty six acre lease about seven miles down the road so so that's going to help me expand my my beef operation um uh you know of course it comes with uh, a lot of additional infrastructure needs and, and logistics. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so we, we, uh, uh you know, that we practice rotational grazing of the cattle. And so having to put in, um, uh, you know, electric, uh, high tensile electric fence, uh, you know, that, that enables rotational grazing on a, um, a, on a more managed scale. Um, and so that's one thing, um, we do do, uh, we built our house here. Uh, and so, um, I basically did all the construction myself. It's a metal building that we basically, once we had the slab poured, the metal building constructed, and then my wife and I, and my, with my daughter's help, we built the inside of the house, framed it all in and, and did all of that work. Um, and so by, by having a blank slate like that, we were able to basically design the systems that we wanted from the ground up. So we have a rainwater collection system uh, that goes into a cistern uh, that cistern provides water to my livestock, primarily my um, my broiler chickens. Uh, we run batches of uh, 300 broilers at a time out on pasture. Uh, and then uh, also use that to water my orchard um, as needed. Uh, and then we we uh, we put in a, a gray water collection system. Um, and so all of the, um, you know, the wastewater from the showers, the sinks, the, the washing machine, all that kind of feeds over into my orchard as well. And and that uh, water goes into the swales that we built for uh, the trees in our orchard. Uh, And so that helps, you know, it gets pretty dry and hot here in Texas in the summer. Uh, And so, you know, we're we're putting that in place. Um, Let me see what else, Um, you know, if you went to our website you could see kind of how we do broiler operations. And so, uh, you know, we, we built chicken tractors that are easy to move. Uh, that my wife can move them every day. and so uh, instead of one ginormous chicken tractor, uh, we have three um, smaller ones they're they're uh, they're what are they twelve by twelve by ten um, with wheels on them and so she can move those really easy across the pasture if i'm if I'm gone. Um, and, and so things like that, you know again, training the animals to um to this system is very important as well, right? Like my mm, cows will come when point. I call them um we don't feed any grain to the cattle and so just by you know calling here cow here cow you know they'll come running because they they know by that sound that that they're going to go get fresh grass right same with the pigs uh when i feed the pigs etc and so there's just little tricks and tips that you develop along the way that uh that make life a lot easier um and of course we're always building things trying to trying to improve systems etc
1: Man, just you—you—you you, you touched on the rainwater, and that's been my uh, the bane of my existence lately. Like the last couple of weeks, it's just been yeah. raining and raining and raining here, and we just recently put gutters on the house, but nowhere to like, put yeah, the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere.
0: You know, it's not to yeah. rain again, and and you'll have this, uh, you know, same issue next year and in the year after. So, yeah. yeah. It, it helps. Uh, yeah, if you're starting from from ground zero and, and you have a blank slate and, and it, I mean, i I'd been designing the house and the homestead uh, probably for five years before we even bought the property. Mm. And so I had uh, we, we live in a very small by today's standards house. It's um, uh, not even sixteen hundred square feet. Um, but I you know basically knew that I, I kind of wanted it to be very small. Um, for tax reasons number one number two mm, you know okay. i don't yep. i don't need a formal dining room i don't need a you know a a, a game room all of these things right right and so and so uh, there was no p- reason to pay for it and air condition it and all those other things so really optimizing it. The design. yeah right clean it yeah um but uh, to optimize the design of the house i mean i i worked on it repeatedly and would pass it by the wife. And she's like, no, no, that's not going to work. We need to do this. And, and then I'd go back at it again and trying to fe- squeeze it all into a, you know, as, as small a space as possible. Um, that, you know, that, that proceeded over probably five or six years before mm-hmm. we even bought the place. Didn't even know I wanted to move, right. It was just something that I knew one day that, that, yep. uh, you know, the kids were going to move out of the house. We were going to move to something smaller. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I started on that, long
1: before we even uh, moved here single story or multi-story
0: it's a single story but we have a uh, an apartment upstairs and so um, you know if you're if you're building a metal building um, you know the beauty of the uh, metal building construction is you don't have all of those obstructions in in the attic right you don't have an attic Um, so there's no you know uh, rafters and joists etc and so by building so we built a, a one-story structure in half of the metal building. The other half is my shop, which which is wide open um, uh, all the way to the, to the peak of the house. Um, but in the other half above the house, um, I was going to build a commercial kitchen uh, so that I could, you know, uh, make sausages and, and, and cure meats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then my son needed a place to stay. His, him and his family, they were uh, transitioning uh, out of, uh, from, from Dallas down to here. Uh, so we kind of switched gears, and we ended up building an apartment upstairs. So it's a two-bedroom apartment, full kitchen, etc. Uh, it's probably about 900, um, eh, maybe it's maybe it's 1100. Uh, it's probably about 900 to 1000 square feet, um, but it's pretty comfortable. And so, yeah, it's um, small building. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you, you know, I just started out real small. We ended up, you know, getting this place uh, uh, livable and continuing to work on it. And then a couple of years later, we knew, you know, when I designed the place, I knew I was gonna have a, a kitchen upstairs. And so, you know, I built the place with all the plumbing and electricity to understand that ultimately this is what I'm gonna do. And then two or three years later after we moved in, we ended up finishing that space. So maybe we'll, uh, you know, uh, use it as an Airbnb or something like that. Again, yep. multiple, multiple revenue
1: streams, um, trying to generate as much as you can off of the place. So it sounds like the planning and forethought years ahead of time is something that worked really well for you because you, you kind of had a pretty good idea of what you want to do and how you wanted to do it before you even found the property that you're at now. And so you could just kind of take your design like, yep, this maybe a few tweaks, but you know this property is exactly what we're looking for. And there it is.
0: Um yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't um you know, so so when we got our homestead um south of Houston, uh, I did have a metal building built just because I needed a workshop and, and uh and an office as well. I I was I was home officing and uh, I actually had my my office desk underneath of a loft bed where my oldest son was sleeping. So I would get on conference calls at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and he's still up there sleeping. Uh and so I you know that that's it's not ideal. Let's just put it that way. And so um we ended up having a metal building constructed. And then again, I finished that out on the inside and uh and put a loft up above that. And so I kind of took that same concept and, and really just magnified it. It's like, okay, we can live in a metal building. Um, you know, because my office was in there, it's like, okay, all I gotta do is expand this, right? And then I had also um, all my, so when I was homesteading, I was processing all my own meats. Right. And so we were butchering our own animals and, uh, you know, curing and smoking, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so I, I, my office was, it was very large. It was, uh, I guess it was 30 by 20. Um, and so there was more than just an office, right. I had my gym in there. I had a little kitchen in there, you know, so I kind of outfitted it. Um, and so I knew when we, you know, if we were going to, or once we did move, I knew that, that concept was, was advantageous for all of those reasons. Ultimately I could turn what was an office. I could just look, let's just make that a house inside of a metal building. So really it was from that concept and, and uh, execution that I got the idea that this is a great idea for, for a house. Right. And then you can put an apartment upstairs, or in my case, you know, a commercial kitchen, which was the initial plan. Um, And so when we finally moved here and it was just open land, they just had perimeter fencing. It's like, okay, well, let's just take that and, um, uh, you know, and execute it here at this location. So, um, so while we were there, I was kind of already, these, these ideas were germinating in my mind. And, uh, and so then I started to design on what would be an acceptable house.
1: Yeah. Excellent. What are some other things that have worked well for you?
0: Um, you know, so, so for homesteading, we, um, we were raising, uh, we had a lot of laying hens, you know. So I, I, I implemented all of the permaculture t- tricks and tips, if you will, right? So, so we planted uh, buckwheat, and, and our we had a little orchard. Um, we planted buckwheat uh, there, and, and the ducks and the geese uh, and the chickens they would harvest all of their own, you know, not all of it, but they harvested the grain, et cetera. Um, I had uh, I had put in some um, um, different pumping mechanisms uh, uh, to aerate my, my pond and, 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 uh, refill my pond. Uh, lots of fun things like that. Um, here at this place, um, I, you know, again, I, you know, I touched on a couple of them, just the, um, um, so, so I wouldn't say we're doing so much homesteading permaculture type stuff now. Um, we, we do, I did plant, uh, so here I, there, I had a garden we canned, et cetera, et cetera. Here, uh, it's just me and my wife. We don't really need all that much. I don't eat that much vegetables anyway. And then if you have free range hens, uh, having a garden is a challenge, right? Because the animals want to harvest things just moments before you do. Yeah. So you either got to fence the the, the birds in or you got to fence the garden in. And fencing a garden in uh, creates a whole bunch of obstacles as well around, okay, how do I get my tractor in here? How do I, you know, how do I do these things? Uh, and so we basically, we just trade, uh, meat for vegetables at the farmer's market. Um, and so, but here we, we have planted some trees. Um, we have elderberry, uh, we have, uh, asparagus and, uh, we have a bunch of, uh, just recently planted a bunch of pear trees. And then we had planted, uh, peach trees about three or four years ago. So, uh, and then I've tried my hand at grapes. Uh, um, Texas isn't so great for growing grapes, but I thought, well, there, there's wild grapes that grow really well, <clears throat> and they're pretty good grapes. Um, but I thought I would uh, uh, make my own wine at some point. And so uh, I planted some um, wine grapes, uh, most of which died. There's uh, there's two still growing right now. Uh, but those are the ones that are hardy enough to, to survive here. So I'll, I'll probably take True. cuttings. Someday I'll take cuttings of those and, and, and finish out my, my uh, vineyard,
1: if you will. So. <laughs> Someday. Someday, yeah. So the grapes, uh, what, what happened to the grapes? What do you think happened? Just too um, dry? Or?
0: No, well, uh, uh, so there's, um, there's a black mission grape that grows pretty well in Texas. And I think it might have been here ba- you know, back when the, uh, the Spaniards came in. I, that's probably why it's called a black mission grape. Um, but then I tried a couple of French grape varieties that uh, we found at, um, um, there's, there's a couple of vineyards down by Fredericksburg, uh, uh, southwest of Austin. Um, and they're growing those grapes. And, and so they were selling that style of grape and I bought three or four different varieties. Uh, and at the same time I I bought some black mission grapes. I think those are the ones that all died. Right. And so we have a, um, I think it's called Pierce disease, uh, P I E C R C E Pierce. Um, that exists in the, I think it's a virus that exists in the soil in a lot of places in Texas Mm. that, that kills these things off um so whether that was it or not i don't know they just didn't survive um but the the black mission grapes that we have growing um you know they're they're doing really well they're they're thriving now i don't know what to do with them (laughs) so i I because they're
1: not the wine variety
0: they are yeah oh they are okay yeah yeah so they're not a really good table grape um so i've picked them and i put them in the freezer and someday maybe i'll do something with them that's kind of that's you know i start a lot of projects i get to about 80 percent uh proficiency and then i move on to something else right it's like okay been there done that i can do that if i have to and then i kind of uh go on to another project
1: <clears throat> yeah i i get the exact same way like yeah. i'm sure everyone's tired of me posting about rocks and like well that's kind of all i've been doing i actually stopped recording myself like doing anything with rocks because like i'm <laughs> bored of it like that's i a, hate this that,
0: that's a very elaborate uh rock system that you put in place that retaining <laughs> wall and all that that was well executed too looks great
1: thanks i hope it holds up over the years because yep. it's kind of slapstick but yeah it's what i have so yeah, yeah. i kind of thought about how i would mend it if it were to like start breaking but that's not relevant yeah. here
0: <laughs> yeah i i have this um uh, it rains really hard here uh you know we get like three, four inch, five inch rain events that uh, all happen inside of like, you know, four or five hours, right? We just get these torrential downpours. And uh, I have several areas that are suffering significant amount of erosion around this. We have about a two, two and a half acre pond. Um, and then when all that water comes, it comes hard. And, uh, and so I've been struggling with that. I've, I've spent a lot of money and energy trying to um, keep this erosion at bay um and and so that that's been a big struggle so i i know your pain um you know like i said it it's all been eroded away uh, so i'm taking a totally different approach now trying to uh, arrest that um and uh, and hopefully this one works we'll see i'm i, I got a bulldozer a couple of uh, months ago i had to do a lot of work to get it uh, working um but i'm oh. tr- going to i'm going to try to redirect this uh, um water around the other side of the, the dam and uh, and hopefully I do it correctly and, uh, and it doesn't erode that side of the dam. Uh, and then I can rebuild the side that is currently, uh, you know, defunct. Um, so so you're, yeah.
1: you're splitting it. So you're trying to cut off the one side that's eroded and have it go a different route where you can repair the first side and then maybe just have it just, a you're know, kind of like run, running something in parallel, just make two streams well, and, uh, into yes. the catchment uh, instead of one.
0: Yes, in effect, right. So there's a spillway on one side, and that's the side that's uh, been suffering a lot of erosion. Um, wow. it, it's it's probably eroded, um, uh, you know, vertically, probably ten feet, and then horizontally, I would say about maybe seventy-five feet since we bought the Whoa. place. Yeah, it's really bad. We have very sandy soil here. Wow, and it, was all, it was all backfilled. And he- oh, and it's and it's like uh, it's probably thirty feet wide. Um, it's, it's a lot of, it's every time I see oh, it, it, it pains me. Um, anyway, so, That's a lot uh, of material. yeah, yeah. So I put a culvert in and I, um, you know, I, I, uh, f- filled in some of the erosion and put a culvert in and effectively it just, uh, the culvert wasn't big enough. And even if it was, it, it started eroding, uh, behind the culvert right And I, and I laid a bunch of, um, uh, uh, cement bags down thinking that that would, you know, when the water came through the culvert that that would dissipate some of the energy it would provide you know a, a stop uh for any type of erosion on the backside didn't work at all the we had a major rain event it went over the top of the culvert and uh and pretty much just took out the, all of that cement bags that i'd put down there several several hundred dollars and a hell of a lot of lifting um it's not easy uh, moving an 80 pound bag of cement right uh especially when you're going vertical so i was yeah I was, you know Carrying it down and, and stacking them up. Uh, well, I have pictures of this on uh, on our website. Uh, we publish a weekly newsletter, so if you go back through our newsletter archives, you'll you'll see this project. Anyway, it was all trashed. It was oh completely my god! And uh, and so so yeah, I think the only way I can fix this is to redirect the water to the other side of the dam, and and then again, hopefully, control the water, spread it out wide enough so it it doesn't cut like it's cutting right now. Uh, so that's the, that's the plan. Um, uh, I, so anyway, so yeah, I'm working on that. I'm sure that'll be a topic of uh, some of our newsletters and, and uh, a couple of YouTube videos as well.
1: What are, what are some other things that haven't worked well? Like I'm sure, may, I mean, maybe you're the one rancher that has never had livestock get out of their uh, fencing. Uh,
0: uh, no. Uh, so I live on a, uh, a pretty busy road and uh, that's the one thing that uh, haunted me, especially uh initially and i've had cattle you know when you when you uh take cattle to the um, to the butcher um you know I, I only take two or three at a time right and so i i put those two or three in a holding pen so that in the morning i can load them up um yeah th- you know that some of them are, are very docile but some of them get freaked out when they're separated from the herd like that right and, sure. and so i've had some jump the fence um i bought some from my father-in-law who uh, is it? It's a couple miles down the road. Brought those to his to our place, right? And they're like, no, I'm I'm not having this, right? And they they jump the fence. And uh, I've lost some. I've 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 had one, yeah, one that I've never recovered. I, some rancher has him in his pasture somewhere. Um, you know, that is a f- totally finished steer, probably worth two thousand bucks, right? Uh, and it's gone. Never seen it again. I spent many a day wow. searching for it. Uh, walked many a past year's looking for it and yeah, don't have it. Um, uh, but, but really, you know, that doesn't happen all that much. And, um, but it is something that uh, it is painful uh, with respect to cattle. You know, you think a cow is a cow and we run a, a, a grain free cattle operation, right? So it's grass fed, grass finished. And, you know, I spent a lot of money on cows that don't perform well on our grass. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, so, uh, and so, you know, had I, I didn't know anything about cattle. I I'd had a couple of steers that I raised and butchered, uh, just for my family. Um, and then we were feeding grain. Um, but when we moved here, you know, I, I, I really liked the taste of grass fed. Um, we had sheep there that were grass fed. Right. And so I like lamb, I like venison. Um, and so we wanted to do grass fed beef and, you can, you can hide a lot of bad genetics with, um, grain, you know, finishing animals on grain, right? You can, um, you can pump them full of a lot of calories. Right. Um, but, but cattle that consume, um, grass and you want them to get fat on grass. First off, you need really good grass, which we have mediocre grass, uh, but you also need cattle that are really designed for that. Right. Cattle that uh, have very large stomachs that can consume a lot of calories with a lot of, uh, without expending a lot of energy, and, um, and and more of your cattle genetics today, they're just not bred for that type of uh, um, uh, ecosystem, if you will, right? And and of course the heat here is incredible. Everybody likes Black Angus cattle. Um, I think it's probably not a good fit for Texas. There's there's a reason that the early Texas ranchers. Well, first off, there's the Longhorn, right? But but also the Santa Gertrudis, which is a, 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 you know, not a heritage breed, it's a, it's a mutt, but it was bred to function in this type of environment, uh, as well as the beef master is, is a, um, you know, it's got shorthorn and, and some Brahmin in it, uh, and so that cattle, type of cattle seems to perform better here, especially if you get the right genetics. So, so we bought a lot of cows and found out that those cows weren't very good, and, and you know we had a couple of good ones that we kept and we just kind of funneled you know cycled through uh selecting better genetics better performance um and so yeah i spent a whole bunch of money because i didn't know what i was doing and uh, uh you yeah, know and also a lot of time wasted um you know trying to build a, a a cattle herd that i could grass feed grass finish and and uh so uh yeah so i'm still working on that too and and always trying to refine that uh, and getting better genetics
1: so, what breed are you settled on right now?
0: Uh, not a breed at all. I'm I'm totally breed agnostic. I'm all about what, oh. cow, what cow performs well. And so, um, if I was that do it again, I would probably look at something like Murray Greys, South Poles. Um, these things are you know they're 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 really good cattle for the type of operation that I have. I'm not advocating any particular cattle to anybody. I think everybody's you know situation is different. Um, what you know, the the growing season that you have up there is totally different from mine, right? You don't have to struggle with heat like I have to struggle with, um, you know. The, so there's – if I had it to do over again, I would find a rancher who was raising uh, – who had good cattle that performed well, and they didn't feed him grain, and I would pay the money to buy uh, his good cattle, right? So, you know, steal somebody else's genetics that's already proven – as opposed to trying to, to uh, develop your own herd. Um, sure. And, and uh, I still haven't done that, right? And so, i but basically um, I've, I've, I've gotten a better eye for it, uh, but I've pretty much been retaining my own heifers uh, based on performance in my own herd and, and slowly growing that away. Because good, good genetics are not cheap. Uh, you can go to the auction barn and you can buy a cow but you don't, you're, you're really rolling the dice. It's like playing roulette. Uh, whereas if you, and, and that's what I did. Um, whereas if you go find an operation similar to yours close to you and you see that those cattle are doing this, you know, extremely well on grass, then it's like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll pay, you know, $500 over premium to get that genetics and, and save myself, uh, you know, several years because you don't know what, how it's going to perform. Uh, the cattle cycle is three years, really, right? If you get a if you get an open heifer, you're not going to know how that calf performed. Sure. Three years until three years <laughs> later when you harvest it, right?
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, because it's nine months that the cow was pregnant, and then you got really two years before it, you're ready to harvest it, and that's a long cycle uh, to to try to improve off of bad genetics, right? It's like Oh well, that one didn't really work out well, uh, you know. And then it's like, okay, well, now you got to start again. You just lost three years, plus plus the you know fifteen hundred sure. bucks that yeah. you paid for it. So I would I would have gladly paid twenty five hundred dollars, three thousand uh, dollars for something that I wouldn't have had to waste three years on.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd be that. That seems cheap.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I now. mean, any of you so guys In, retrospect, in out, yeah. back? Yeah. Yeah. Any of you folks listening out there wanting to get into the cattle operation, um, find somebody who's doing it like you want to do it and, and, and pay the money to, to, uh, to get that gen- those genetics.
1: How about your pigs and your sheep? Because you said really those are more your specialty.
0: Um, well, I, I wouldn't say they're my specialty, but they're certainly um, uh, they're easier to scale. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mentioned the time frame on, on cattle being three years, uh, with sheep, um, you know, the, the, it, it's more like it's about a year, um, uh, maybe 18 months, uh, to finish. Right. So it's half as long. Um, and, and I raised sheep before. And so I had, um, uh, Royal white sheep, um, which is kind of a, a, a mix between a Katahdin and uh St. Croix, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and so I had those and, and I knew I wanted hair sheep, uh, um, you know, anybody familiar with sheep down here, wool sheep don't do very well. It's, it's very hot. Right. Um, and I didn't want to shear sheep or, or any of that nonsense. Um, so I had experience with Royal Whites and, and a couple of Dorpers. Um, and so when we got the herd together here, uh, we, uh, you know, we pretty much picked Dorpers, um, because it's, it's very prevalent, um. Hogs. We when we were homesteading, we had um, American Guinea Hogs, which are a great homesteading hog, and uh, but not a good commercial hog, right? It's uh, you get you have a lot of fat, you have an animal. It's about three quarters of the size, um, and, and they're great out on pasture, and, and they're really great for homesteading. Um, but for us, want, knowing that we wanted to sell, um, at, you know, at, to uh, local consumers, <clears throat> we needed a, a more efficient uh, market hog, right? And so, um, I had bought. Um, so we, we were farrowing the American Guinea hogs. Uh, you know, so basically, um, we had a boar, we had a couple of sows, and we had piglets. Uh, one of the things that I did learn there was, um, you know, I lost a lot of baby piglets trying to control the environment of during birth, right? Bringing them into a barn, etc. I found that just them birthing out on uh, on pasture. They did much better than whenever I tried brought them into the barn and tried to confine them. I had a lot fewer uh instances where the mother ended up laying on the piglets, right? Because oh. you have like you have you have a several hundred-pound hog and you have this you know couple ounce piglet. Um, and there's a lot of them, right? There's you know, eight, nine, ten, uh, and that that sow gets up and gets, you know, lays down, etc. It, it it happens, right? She she's lays on some of our own piglets that it's just Mm -hmm. something that happens and some hogs are better than others some sows are better than others about that um but i had that problem less frequently whenever i just let them farrow out on pasture um and so yeah and so for us you know in texas that's something you can do um you know in other environments it may not be uh it may not make sense you know especially in the winter etc um so when when we got here um we ended up buying uh, some wiener pigs, right? Little uh, eight-month-old, or I'm sorry, eight-week-old uh, piglets and raising them. So we went through a couple of varieties of those. We, uh, we did the uh, Gloucester old sp- uh, uh, spot. The, um, we had some, I think we had a couple of Tamworth. We had a couple of, uh, you know, blue butts, your typical market hog, if you will, um, which is across um, Hampshire and Yorkshire. Um and so we tried a bunch of different things. Um we, we kind of settled on um uh red wattles, which uh um is a pretty pretty good uh, uh fit for us because they do real well on pasture. They don't tear up the turf very much. Um uh so I I, I I'm not super happy with them. They have uh, I would like something that has um you know more more meat, less fat. Uh the the um uh red wattle. Is, uh, is kind of a heritage breed that's not really genetically um, been refined over the years, like your, your Berkshires or your Yorkshires or your Hampshires, right? Uh, there's a reason that those those are market hogs. It's because they produce a lot of meat in a short period of time. So I am trying to uh, um, get some uh, better genetics in there. I like the red wattle, so I'm going to keep red wattle sows, uh, but I put on uh, Doruk bull, uh boars. Uh, Doruk um, are somewhat improved breed um and so uh, I'm, I'm testing that out right now
1: sure what about have you looked into mangalitsa at all
0: yeah they uh, again it's a, there's a lot of fat um, um that's true not you know when i say fat i mean like uh, lard like back fat and and uh, belly fat um and um and and that's fine but most of my customers they don't want to pay for all of that fat and and now okay. i i have i have 100 pounds of fat in my freezer you know you can only render so much you can only do so much with it um and the american guinea i'm sorry yeah the while well, the american guinea hog the uh um the, has a lot the red wattle has a little bit less but still it's a lot and the manzalita i think is the same Um so i do have some manzalita bloodline and in, in, uh, the one i have now um uh the, the boar that i had had a little bit because i could tell by the racing stripes on the piglet when it was born mm. um <clears throat> So we'll see. I mean, it is a um, uh, again for for somebody living up north, um, you know, I'm sure the woolly coat uh, would add, um, you know, add value just from keeping the, the, you know, the pig cool or warm rather during the cool season. Here, we don't have that problem. So I kind of think it would, you know, it's kind of like that same thing with black cattle. Right. It's like super hot already. Why do I want to add to that? Right. And so why would I want a woolly pig? Um, Yeah.
1: Whether Unless the log- hair acts as insulation for in the yeah, summer I mean, as well. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Whether that logic, you know, works out, I don't know. Um, I'm not opposed to them. Uh, I, I haven't really, I just kind of steered away from them because again, I'm trying to get um, something closer to a, a, a commercial hog that does well on grass. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if somebody's doing it well around here, I'd like to see it. And, and then maybe again, I would incorporate that. And with pigs, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. You got like a, for me, it's about an eight month cycle, um, uh, from, well, from farrowing to, uh, to finish. And then pigs get, you know, maybe, I guess it's about three, three months, little, almost four months gestation. Right. And so in a year, um, you can change your program pretty easily, right. You can test something out and then the next year you can make changes. Um, you know, again, it's, uh, uh, if you're homesteading these, you know, some of these things don't necessarily matter, but when you're trying to make money at it,
1: then you, you know, you, you need to continue to refine
0: the system, I think.
1: Right. What's been the biggest challenge you've faced so far?
0: Uh, probably my own stamina. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 54 years old. Um, you know, when we moved to this property, um, you know, the kids that just graduated, my last, uh, my daughter just graduated high school. And, uh, you know, I, I looked at my wife, uh, I was, uh, 48 at the time. Is that right? Yeah. 47, 48. I said, look, if we're going to do this, we need to do this now. Um, because, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this. So for, for, yeah, from, from that perspective, uh, I feel like, you know, I feel, uh, time, uh, creeping in on me. Right. Um, It's pretty hot and it's uh, working by yourself is, uh, has its own challenges. And so just my own stamina, fortunately, um, you know, like I said, I have a lot of systems in place that I built initially when I, when I still had a lot more energy, um, but yeah, I think that that's the biggest challenge is really working by yourself, uh, you know, when you're moving cattle around, um, you know, you need to be skilled at doing that without a lot of energy, without a lot of fuss. Building working shoots um, that enable you to uh, sort, uh, segregate, um, you know, um, you know, castrate those type of things, all by myself, right? And so, building the systems that help me do that makes it a little bit easier, but it's still a struggle. Yeah, having having a good tractor, I would recommend folks get a tractor with a you know front end loader, and then get a front end loader that you can remove the bucket and put forks on. Uh, forks on a tractor are a godsend you can do a lot of imagine yeah i mean you know as far as taking pallets of feed off you know you don't have to lift every single bag right you can just get in there with your your forks and pick up the entire pallet and then you can put it on the ground or whatever Uh, so it makes a big difference uh, those types of things
1: what's the best part about farmsteading
0: Uh, i like uh I, i like the farmer's market i hate the farmer's market but i like the farmer's market um, That's a an lot of,
1: interesting answer because I've never got that one before.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. Um, you know, packing up, going there, um, and sometimes it's uh, it, it's it's a lot of work with no return. Um, you know, if it's rainy or your customers like at the end of the month they just don't have any money, what have you. But I also like mm-hmm. the interaction with the people. Um, you know, it's great to hear you know customer feedback. It's great to educate uh, customers about you know what you do and how you do it. Um, you know them telling me how grateful they are that you know some some folks come with metabolic issues that um, you know good clean meat uh, has has helped remedy. Uh, it, we have farm tours and and you know the kids come out and they get to interact and those are the kind of things that that uh, really inspire me to keep going. Um, and and I think without that uh, yeah it would just be a lot of work right. I I I, I can only eat so much uh, myself right and so by by engaging in, in in the agora in the marketplace uh, with people who really want what I'm doing, that that's a, that's a, a great blessing to me. So. Do you think everyone should be a homesteader though? I think everybody should have a homesteading mindset, right? So I, I think folks need to um, have skills that are traditional, right? Be able to, uh, you know, go out and, and, and go squirrel hunting. Right. And know how to cook a squirrel if you needed to cook a squirrel, not because you may have to kill a squirrel and eat a squirrel someday, but so that you have an appreciation for where your food comes from. Um, I don't see re- any reason why folks shouldn't gain the skills to be able to say buy a whole chicken and then part that chicken out. Right. So you can save a lot of money as a uh, as a as a homemaker uh, by not buying you know skinless boneless breasts. And then going and buying drumsticks for the kids or whatever. You can buy a whole chicken for a heck of a lot less, oftentimes on sale. Um, And and same thing with turkeys after Thanksgiving. Go buy five or six turkeys after Thanksgiving and then learn how to process that down into smaller packages, right? Um, And so I think things like that, um, you know, everybody can grow a couple of, you know, tomatoes or herbs even. Um, And so it's just that mindset that it's like, I know I can do these things. Um, and a lot of people say to themselves, I, "I could do this if I have to do this." Well, you know what? When you have to do it, you don't have that skill. You're going to have to figure some things out, and there's no time to figure it out then. Practice it now, even if you only do it once or twice, and then put that on the shelf. You know, get your kids involved. Get help them understand. You know, some of these more basic concepts about um, you know life without the internet. Let's call it that um and they'll enjoy it right if you make it a fun experience there's no reason that they can't enjoy it and then they'll also have an appreciation for where their food comes from you know uh, how to get water from point a to point b uh, all of these things you know how, how to prune a tree uh, that type of stuff and so yeah i think everybody should i think everybody should practice homesteading inside of the uh you know the constraints that they have so if you live in an apartment you know maybe there's you're going to grow some herbs on your porch but if you live in a subdivision, you could raise quail in your in your you know garage or basement, right? There's no reason that you yeah. can't. You, rabbits are easy. Um, you can you can do these things. You can always put a garden out there. You can plant a fruit tree instead of uh, you know a Bradford pear or something like that. Something you know silly. Um, uh, you, you know you can grow flowers and then you can you know use those as gifts to somebody else, right? There's there's people appreciate handcrafted items like that. Um, yeah, so every, everybody can do this, learn how to sew, learn how to, you know, quilt all of these things. Um, and it's great for community engagement too, right? You can get together with other people. You can trade things with other people. You can you know, share tips and tricks. Uh, like I said, get your kids involved, get your neighbor's kids involved. All of these things can focus around homesteading and add true value to their life as opposed to, uh, I don't know what people do, uh, watch football and drink beer on the weekend. right?
1: Right. Yeah, uh, you saw a huge shift in 2020. People running to the countryside to go start a farm or a homestead or whatever, and then in 2021, a lot of people went right back. It's like, this is hard. Like, well, yeah, idiot. Yeah, yeah like you went too, like you went too hard. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. zero to sixty.
0: Yeah, I really recommend folks um, start out. Um, you know, start out small practice it where you're at now before you move out, you know, and, and buy 70 acres. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't recommend people buy 70 acres, you know, three acres is a lot. Wow. To make. And, and so, uh, yeah, practice on three acres, one acre. If you, if you're living in an apartment right now, start practicing now. And, uh, because yeah, like you said, um, you know, setting up systems wrong costs money and time. And, and so, just by cutting your teeth on something smaller, you'll learn a lot. Uh, you'll gain the skills. The skills are, are non-perishable, right? And and so you can then implement those as you, uh, upscale in, into something more remote and, uh, and, and larger property.
1: Yeah. I think that's one thing that's helped avoid, uh, me and my wife from burnout is that we've been very slow to, to do anything here mm-hmm. is that, um, we we didn't really get into gardening or homesteading or any of that until we like uh, built this house. Like we didn't like we lived in an apartment for three years prior to this, but didn't really have um, like tomatoes on the patio or anything. Mm-hmm. Like we we had our little garden when we first got here, and then the year after that had um, let's see. No, we had we had laying hens pretty close to that same year, and then meat chickens after that. And so we were slow, but we haven't branched into you know getting goats or sheep or whatever else we could have here, or even that much of a bigger garden. Um, Just been very, very slow. Uh, Yeah, uh, just trying to establish things. It's it's tough starting uh, uh, from zero. A
0: a garden is hard to maintain, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot of work just to maintain a a small, you know, thirty by thirty garden. Uh, Fencing's expensive. And you can grow a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in a small garden if you're if you're creative about it. I, I think most folks who, who put in a big garden, um, they don't utilize most of it, right? It, it, they're not very efficient with the um, with the with the land mass that they have. Whereas the smaller it is, you have to be very efficient and you know start crops at different periods of time and and, and rotate through those. Uh, if you got to build soil, it's a lot easier to build a, a you know a, a twenty by twenty patch of soil um than it is to build an acre's worth of a garden right it's almost right. impossible to maintain and then if you're weeding the dang thing man that's a that's a, a massive chore uh trying to weed an yeah. a, a acre-sized garden so yeah uh, definitely start out small um yeah uh, to undertake one enterprise at a time and, and again get fairly comfortable with it like you said you know you, you start with laying hens maybe you move to broilers and then a couple you know a year later uh then you might get a, a, a one sheep or goat, you know, maybe two, right, to keep it company, but don't go out and buy 25 of them uh, because you don't know what your your uh, handling systems need to look like, right? You got to practice with a couple of them because, um, again, you're going to have to work with these animals, right? And so building um, building an elaborate system that doesn't work is very painful uh, because then you're stuck with it uh, or the expense of, of of having made a mistake. Uh, so, yeah, start start small, walk into it, um, or crawl before you walk, before you run. And eventually, um, yeah, then you can upscale that and, and get more animals and, and then get another variety of animals and keep adding to it.
1: I got one last question here um, as we wrap up. How do you end up turning your passions into profit?
0: Uh, so so again, you know, I think homesteading is great, uh, but I think also everybody who's homesteading should have a, an outlet to sell their product. And, uh, and the farmer's markets are great for that. We, we have, uh, my wife runs a farmer's market here in, in, uh, our community. Um, and so you can go there even if you're selling bread or macrame or candles or whatever the thing is. Um, so first off, it helps you pay for, um, your hobbies, right? Yep. Uh, if you do it right and, and you, you upscale it, it's also a great tax write-off. Right. And so you can you can hide a lot of your um, living expenses, if you will, or, or your hobby expenses and some of your property, um, you know, if you need a tractor or whatever, you can write these things off uh, and, and not have to carry, um, uh, you know, all, all of that uh, um, cost. You can liquidate some of that through through tax depreciation. Right. And so sure. I don't see there's a reason why you wouldn't take advantage of those. Of course, you have to generate revenue to be able to write those things off. Yeah. And so therefore you need to turn those passions into profits. Um, and and so even if you start out small, you should start designing your homestead with that idea in mind. Um, and I also think it's great for, um, to, to develop these entrepreneurial skills in kids, give them something to do. Right. And so if you're going to go to the farmer's market and you're going to sell bread, um, you know, give your kids, a, let your kids make jewelry or candles or what have you, right? And let them sell them too, because then their hard work is rewarded, right? And they get a taste for that. And and then that taste kind of like, you know, becomes its own engine in and of itself. And then they start having all kinds of creative ideas on how they can make money. Um, and, and, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's the heart of capitalism right there, right? And, and that also gets them involved and uh, gets them off the couch, stop playing video games because you can't make any money playing video games, right? And so then they start going to the library and they start learning about different crafts and skills and things like that. Uh, so it, you know, it's it's a great um, it's a great thing to do not only for your own um, you know pocketbook and, and to fund your hobbies, um, but it's also great for building that same kind of mindset in, in your your kids uh, and your neighbors too.
1: One thing that I think also helps you be successful is having multiple facets. So like, you're not just selling beef. You're not just selling pork. You're not just selling lamb. Like you have this whole spectrum of products that you offer. Cause we like, we sell a couple, like maybe a dozen eggs or two every week to some neighbors, but for the most part, nobody cares because that's all that we have. Mm -hmm. Like if, if we had, some vegetables if we had some meat birds if we had some lamb to buy probably the um the eggs would be like an upsell right it wouldn't be the thing
0: yeah i mean if you, if you're going to raise you know let's say let's say you raise 25 broiler chickens for your family right one every other week or something or, or why not raise 50 and sell 25 of them to somebody in your church or or right. know, whatever um it doesn't take that any more effort really, uh, to do that. Um, maybe a little bit to process them. Uh, maybe a little bit of larger infrastructure. Uh, but I just really, you know, your time is the same. Um, and, and it would effectively, if you sold those 25 chickens, you would pay for the 25 that you're putting in your freezer. Right. And so why not do that? Um, and then, you know, from the, the, the concept of multiple enterprises at once, from my perspective, if I'm going to go to the farmer's market and I'm going to engage a customer who's buying meat, I want to be their one stop shop. Right. I know people who buy who eat beef. Likely they also eat pork and chicken and lamb. Right. And so or, or vice versa, if they're buying lamb, you know, maybe I can sell them some beef or some pork. Uh, and so um, you want to you want to maximize that opportunity that you have in front of your customers. Uh, and then these systems kind of work with one another. Right. There's there's advantages of. of of running, uh, sheep and cattle together. There's advantages of having pigs out on pasture. Um, you know, as far as building soil, uh, that type of thing, uh, you know, uh, running broilers, um, um, with chicken tractors builds fertility in the soil as well. And so you can capitalize on these things, uh, to where they're, they're additive, uh, in your, your homesteading or, or farmsteading systems.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, John, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before uh, before we sign off here?
0: No, I don't think so. I think it uh, been a good evening, and uh, I hope uh, folks uh, follow us uh, on our uh, newsletter. Sign up for our weekly newsletter if you're interested. It's amberoaksranch.com. Um, uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter as well. And, uh, yeah, I uh, uh, wish everybody the best of luck. If anybody has any questions, you can reach me off of my website. I'm um, always willing and excited to uh, provide information to folks um, about anything that we're doing here or any ideas that they may have. Uh, and they just want to bounce them off of somebody. So
1: I look forward to it. appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. All
0: right. Take care, man.
1: One last real quick question. Yeah. Your logo. Is that like yeah. a little like wink, wink?
0: Yeah, it's a little wink, wink. All
1: right. Yeah, I, yeah. Appreciate- I mean, That's it's cool.
0: It's Amber Oaks Ranch, right? And so just the A and the O. If you look at it close, it's an A and an O. And if you look that's at it...
1: That's all like, it is. <laughs> if it, and if you look
0: at it a little sideways, maybe you can see more there.
1: All right. That's cool. I like it. I love yeah. that. Awesome. Well, again, uh, thanks, John.
0: All
2: right. Take care, man.
1: I am Matt DeRozier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit FarmHopLife.com.
2: Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't. Clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana Left family and friends, all I got now is you We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead Thinking this was the life, all that there'd be After our first born, you had to stay home that's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm half-life. we will come to your farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV, send us a message and there we go.